So just by way of, um, there's a couple of things before, before we start. We've got about 20 questions and um, we'll endeavour to work through them. So I just want to say a few things. Um, firstly, what this next few minutes, half an hour, hour, however long it takes, what it is not intended to be. Okay, what it is not intended to be is for people telling you how you should live your lives. Okay? It's not a tell. Um, and it's not a tell because of the second thing I just want to say by way of introduction is that it, and it really comes to the answer to this question. You know, who is responsible for the decisions you make and the way you choose to live your life? And who is responsible for the way Guy chooses to live his life and the decisions Guy makes? I'm responsible for my decisions and you are responsible for yours. So we really help this evening. We'll, well, we hope it will, will help contribute to a discussion, to a thought process, to a reflection. Because really, in one sense, the only difference between the four of us and you is we just happen to have seen these questions a little bit before you have. Okay? But the third thing is that God gave us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is alive and well and wants to guide you and me in the decisions we make and how we make sense of the world that we find ourselves living in. God gave us a helper. So we can turn to the Holy Spirit in any situation. There is no question. There is no question that the Holy Spirit cannot help guide us with. That's another reason why this is not a tell. Because you have a helper, and so do I, to help us in making these decisions. Um, there's a fourth thing which I know he's not here to this evening, but what I'm going to call the Evan factor. Okay? Now, the Evan factor, if you were here last week or you heard his testimony a week or two ago, um, is really, I just want to make reference to what Evan was talking about last week. Because some of the questions that we've got, which are very personal and, you know, very real questions about intimacy, meaning, purpose how to find it, how to cope with some of the frustrations of life. The answers to those questions are not necessarily to be found in the subjects we're going to look at this evening. Love, yes, maybe, but not always in sex and in dating. And, you know, what Evan was talking about here last week was about the, the need and the desire for intimacy, the need we all have to find meaning in relationships, these are powerful, powerful drivers in the way we've been created. Um, we were given feelings. We are supposed to feel our feelings. Um, but there's a whole load in what Evan was talking about that can also serve to inform a lot of the questions we have about intimacy and relationship. So I just commend that to you to think about that as well. And the last thing is, obviously this subject is fraught with danger when it comes to language. Um, the opportunity for innuendo and double entendres and the most unintended consequences of what makes a whole lot of sense in your head, um, <laughs> is, is, it's just a great subject for all that to play out. So um, the four of us don't know who's going to jump into that particular 
a sort of hole and keep digging, but I'm sure it'll happen at some point. So all I just wanted to say, it's okay to laugh, okay? Um, we often move um, from you know, decisions of great significance and of personal relevance to people, and at the same time we're all laughing at ourselves helplessly. It's okay to do that, okay? And I'm sure there's a sweepstake that you've probably taken to see where it all goes wrong first. So on that bombshell, <laughs> what's the first question? The questions. Here we go. So our first question is, what is love? And I think Jane's going to start us off with that one. We're thinking that... Uh, each of us will start off answering as the questions come out, but then we'll pass the microphone along because often there's a comment that we will all want to make. Um, I'm also going to make no apologies for reading some of my answers because those who know me well would know I have a very poor memory. So if you were relying on me to remember, you wouldn't get the whole answer. So forgive me when I read some of the answers. So the first question was, what is love? What is love? Okay. Yeah. A little thing there. Um, well, I start by saying that love is more than a romantic feeling or sexual attraction. The difference between infatuation and real love is that infatuation often tends to be selfish or self-centered. So when people are saying, oh, I'm having an amazing time, or I can't believe I'm going out with this person, or I'm so excited, life is so wonderful, it's centered upon themselves. Whereas real love is the deepest appreciation for another human. An awareness of that human's needs and strengths and flaws and character. It's a real love shares the longings, hopes and dreams of another person. It's unselfish. It's putting them first. It's caring and giving. And real love grows over time. Anyone who's in a, a long marriage, 25 years, guy will tell you that, yeah, <laughs> uh, it gets better. The longer you're married, the better it gets. But it is as you grow to know one another. So that's what I'd say. Anyone else? We don't just feel love, we do love. I think that's very important. We do love. So yes, feelings are a part of it but we do love. In fact, the New Testament writers thought that romantic love plays so little part in, in guiding uh, how people were going to get to meaningful relationships that they just didn't mention it at all. I mean, check it out. They just didn't see it as a particular relevant part of building really, really strong relationships. And it's not as if... Um, the writers of scripture were squeamish about talking about sensuality. I mean, just read the Song of Songs. I mean, it's, yes, it's poetic, but it's graphic, and it's incredibly sensual. Um, and the physicality of sexual love is absolutely talked about in very clear and open terms. So it's not that the, the scripture writers you know, didn't know about all that or didn't write about it. It's just when it comes to love... As I say, my build is just, we do love, um, and there are other things um, that build towards relationships with love at the heart of it. And just to emphasize one of the things Jane said about um, 
you can see love in a relationship when you see one partner just wanting to give everything to ensure that their partner, the other partner, grows all their gifts and talents and abilities and character can bear fruit, express themselves, and they can absolutely um, be the person that God created them to be. When you see that, you see a form of love. Yeah, I would, uh, I would agree with that as well. Um, the best, the thing that comes to my mind is, yeah, love, love is a choice. You choose to love uh, someone. It's not about um, the feeling. Um, there's a quote that I heard by C.S. Lewis, which always stands out. It's, uh, uh, he, he's saying, if, if love is a feeling, then if you're married to someone, it's, like, it's kind of like saying, oh, I'll be married to this person as long as I don't have a headache. But then if I have a headache, if, uh, then, then I won't be married to them. It's, it's the same as saying, if, you're, if, you, if you define love as just a feeling, feelings, feelings come and go. Sometimes you might feel happy, sometimes you might feel sad, all on the same day. And if you if, uh, if that's what we think love is, if it's just uh, an emotion, uh, then when maybe there's a time when we're with our, with our partner, with our um, boyfriend, girlfriend, or our spouse, then, uh, yeah, and if we don't have the feelings, then we might think, well, I guess this isn't meant to be. It's time to move on to someone else, uh, which, which, isn't, which isn't the case. And, yeah, you have to choose to, choose to um, uh, love that person. Love is a... Love is a verb. It's, a, it's an action that you, that you do. Um, yeah, I'll just uh, read out a little bit of uh, the classic 1 Corinthians 13. So, so when you choose to love someone, um, these are the things you should be putting into action. Uh, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, uh, and always perseveres. Love never fails. So, so that's kind of a good point of reference to go back to when you you know, want to think about how, how to be loving in a, in a relationship. Um, and I think just, yeah, a good thing to remember is um, it should be sacrificial and, and unconditional, not dependent on the other person if they're, if they're um, maybe if they're not treating you um, as... as kindly as they normally do, you, you choose to love them regardless of, of, uh, of what you get from them. Uh, just, just to love them. Yeah. Is it? So good. Yeah, I think that covers it. I think that was great. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just going to move on to the next question. So this is towards um, Christian parents whose kids have decided to, um, when they move out, they've decided to go and live with um, their partners before marriage. Um, and so this question is asking for advice for that, um, for their kids. I think Guy's going to take it. Yeah, I think the first thing to say on a number of these questions is we will come across a spectrum of perspectives on these issues. Okay, we will come across a spectrum. Um, and one of the measures, I think, of a really healthy Christian environment um, is that you can have unity without uniformity. Now, I don't want to go all sort of fancy words on you, but I just think 
Uniformity, personally, I don't think is a very healthy thing. Unity is. So you can have disagreements, you can have different perspectives, and you can still be in unity. So it just doesn't just apply to this question, because there will be a spectrum, as I say. You will get people holding different views who turn to scripture, turn to prayer, etc. Um, so, if you are a Christian parent and you take the perspective that um, living under the same roof in a sexually active relationship outside of marriage, you kind of got to get a head around that. And if you take the view that that is an unhealthy place to be or that is a place um, of, of risk, and I'm kind of assuming it behind the question that that's the sort of sentiment I'm making an assumption. The first thing I would, I would say is resist, as a, it's, it's, it's tough, isn't it? Resist the temptation to move from observation to judgment. Resist the temptation to move from observation to judgment. <clears throat> I'll make this next comment. I could make it in connection with a number of these questions, but a wise person once said to me, somebody who specialized in dealing with relationships um, with youngsters, set under the age of 25, whatever. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to define young anymore. Um, that there's something more important for those youngsters to know than that their parents love them. There's something more important for your children to know than you love them. And that is that they know that you accept them. Acceptance is so very, very important, just as we know that Jesus accepts us. There is no person who has done anything that is beyond the love of Jesus. So first thing I would just say, be careful, of, you know, try not to move from observation to judgment. Pray. If, if your children are doing things that you consider to be questionable or unwise or to whatever, I know it's a statement of the, but prayer makes a difference. Prayer works. Just never, ever stop praying. Because God will never, ever give up on your children. Keep the communication lines open. It goes back to the first comment about not moving to judgment. It's really hard. If I just put, it's really hard for me to have a conversation with somebody who's already taken a position and made a judgment about me. It's really hard for me be hard for your children too. Um, and, then I, and then I guess I go back to one of the opening comments. Is, you know, we also have to remember you know, who is responsible for your adult children's decisions. It's your adult children. Um, as a parent, you can always, always be there for counsel to pick up the pieces to be there but you want to be a parent that your adult child will come to for that. And then we go back to some of my earlier comments. So that's my perspective. I just have a thing to add about prayer because I think when you're in a situation, it doesn't have to be one like this, you feel people always say, well, I just can pray. 
and it's not just prayer I think if we only understood it better we would understand it's the biggest thing we can do and I came across a quote this week that I just wanted to read out and it says prayer is an eternal mystery and has been with us since the beginning of time it's also somewhat of a wonder it connects the human soul with the creator it changes the atmosphere in and around our lives and in our homes it soothes strengthens heals and empowers it unleashes the impossible and makes a way for the miraculous it also wins the battle and although it may not feel when you're praying as though you're doing all you can it is the only way that's going to win the battle Yeah, so, so that question um, about, yeah, if you're, if you're a parent and your, uh, your kids, adult kids decide to live together in a sexual relationship, um, the first thing, I guess, is it depends on whether your, your kids are, are Christians, if they identify themselves as followers of, of Christ or not. Because if they, if, they if they don't know God and if they haven't met God yet um, and they're not following him, then obviously they're not going to care about living to his... Um, to his standard, to the standard he calls us to live to, uh, as his followers. So, so yeah, that's the that's the first thing I would that comes to mind. So in that case, uh, yeah, just be praying for your your son or daughter to um, to encounter God and encounter God's love. Uh, step one, and then and then from there, once they if they decide to give their life to to the Lord, uh, then you know bring some bring some biblical truth in and say you know this is this is what the how the bible calls us to live um not uh and he's created sex for marriage to be used within marriage uh so yeah so but if they do know if they do know god and they're choosing um and they identify as christians and they're choosing to live in that way anyway then yeah of course um uh, it's, it's important to to let them know that yeah they're loved they're accepted um, if if it was me, if, if it was my kids down the line and they said, I'm a Christian, uh, but I'm going to choose to do this anyway, I would, I would of course, say, I, don't, uh, I disagree with this, but I, I still love you and I still uh, accept you. And, and uh, to continue to, obviously, to preserve the relationship that I have with my, had, uh, have with my son or daughter. Um, but yeah, and just to... But not to, I would I would never just say okay that's cool and not not comment on it. I would I would I would point them back to God's word and, and what uh, how He calls us to live in His word and to to save that for uh, within the the boundaries of ma- of marriage. So yeah, that's how I would approach that. Yeah. So I think following on well from that, um, the question: Should Christians live together in sexual relationship? has guy's name on it as well. <laughs> so a couple of things. This kind of carries on the conversation from the previous question. Um, firstly, I, I would just really encourage people to think about the fact that there is so much more to sexuality than sex. Right? There is so much more to sexuality than sex. In fact, one of the things that kind of saddens me disappoints me whatever about you know all the all the stuff whether it's topless bars whether it's you know bars and clubs that you know do stuff that you know gentlemen's clubs you see the ads up by Heathrow um and all that kind of stuff 
is that they don't talk, they really don't talk about sexuality. They don't express sexuality. It's so limited. They're just peddling a version of sex. And as I say, there's so much more to sexuality than sex. And whether, for me, whether you're married, single, divorced, been married, bereaved, whether you're, you're, you're happily single or frustrated and single, you can express your sexuality and be a complete person and live an incredibly fulfilled life. Um, and that doesn't mean it has to move to a sexually intimate relationship with somebody. So there's so much more than to sexuality and sex would be the thing I'd encourage you to think about. I think the other thing to, to think hard about with this stuff is you know, the, the way that Scripture talks about it from Genesis down to the, to the New Testament is the act of sexual intercourse, the act of sexual intimacy is so much more than a physical act um, or indeed a sort of ultimate expression of an emotional connection. Um, there's something deeply spiritual about it because you know from genesis the the bible talks about where um two become one flesh so there's something in the sexual act there's something in that imagery there's something in that act in god's creation that make that joins spirit to spirit there's something deeply spiritually significant um about you know sexual intimacy and the watch out you know, the watch out, how I've put this to people who've come to ask me questions about this, to say, look, if, if, if you jump into this act of sexual unison without a life commitment to that unity, then that spiritual dynamic is, is put in tension. There's a risk. So if you get into that, into that sort of the sexual unity and the spiritual unity without that commitment to the unity for life, then that can have consequences. And people need to think about that. Yeah, I'll say something. I'll say something. <laughs> um, I think it's really easy to start doing what the rest of the world is doing. It's, it's really, really normal these days for even Christians to live together before marriage. It's becoming more and more normal. And I think just generally in this day and age for Christians to really look like Christians, we need to start living in a way that's quite radical. And, and that means... Um, being in relationship the way that God asked us to be in relationship. And in this day and age, it looks really drastic to the rest of the world. I mean, I remember even at school, you know, the first question people ask you when they find out you're a Christian is, are you not going to have sex before you get married? It's just the first thing that people ask you. And, you know, it's quite sad in a way. <laughs> That's the first question. But I think it's really, really, it's just really, really easy, isn't it, to just get dragged along with what the rest of the world is doing. There's just so many pressures these days to just, to just conform because it's easier, to just live together because it's easier. It's just, 
it's just easy, it just works better, it's, it's easy. <laughs> but God didn't call us to live the easy path either, and so we should keep that in mind. I have a very good friend, and she almost, very, very closely, she came very close to, to slipping and falling into a relationship with a guy who wasn't a Christian, and she was praying for him and praying for him, and that he was kind of dragging her the other way. He was kind of changing the way that she was thinking, and and I I was living in Canada at the time, and so I was I was on Skype with her, and none of her friends there, none of her Christian friends there had had warned her whatsoever about her situation, and she'd they hadn't slept together but they'd kind of been in the same bed together just sleeping and I was like hold on a second has nobody told you that that is a terrible idea (laughs) has no has nobody told you that and all of her Christian friends around her weren't they didn't care they weren't saying anything and I was the one over Skype from Canada who had to say what are you doing that is not okay that's dangerous you're gonna you know because she was slipping into his way of doing things rather than the other way around and it was really rough, like she broke up with this guy, and it was really just awful. Um, I met up with her today, she's engaged to a godly, great guy. Um, she waited, she waited patiently. She decided not to conform to the pattern of this world, she decided to wait for the godly man that, that God had prepared for her. It was only a year, she only waited a year, and then, whew, there he was. And yeah, I got to celebrate with her today. So it's worth, it's worth not conforming to the pattern of this world. God has better. He has so much better. And he cares about the partner that you end up with. Um, that's really important to remember as well. He cares about that. You may not think that God cares about that part of your life. He really cares about who you end up with. So yeah, back to prayer again as well. Just pray, pray. God cares. Cool. Yeah, so, so uh, short answer to that, should Christians live together in sexual relationship? If you're married, absolutely you should. Uh, it, would be, it would be unhealthy not to. Um, if, you're, if you're not married, then, then the answer... If you're unmarried, then, then no, you shouldn't. Um, uh, and that is because for... Yeah, if you, if you look through the, the whole of the Bible, God gives, uh, God gives um, us marriage... Uh, God gives us sex to be used within um, the the boundaries of marriage. Um, yeah, I'll read. There's a couple little bits of scripture here that I found. Um, yeah, so Matthew chapter 19 verses uh, verses four to five, I believe. Um, it is. Haven't you heard? Um, he replied that. At the beginning, the Creator made them male and female, uh, and He said, For these reasons, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Uh, so yeah, so that's, that's God's, uh, God's purpose in, in, uh, in marriage, to, to be united to each other, to become one flesh. Um, yeah, and then uh, there's a couple other verses. Ephesians 5 verse 3 uh, says, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because of these, um, uh, because you are God's holy people. So, uh, so yeah, it says that there shouldn't be 
a hint of sexual immorality amongst those of us who are God's people. And sexual immorality um, can be translated as uh, fornication as, as well. Um, it just means, it basically just means anything that's outside of the God's intended use for, uh, for sex. So if you're using it in a way that God didn't, in, didn't intend to, uh, intend for us to use it, then that's sexual immorality. So throughout, throughout all of uh, the scripture there, you can see, you can see that um, it's calling us to, to not uh, walk in sexual immorality. So, uh, so yeah. And another, another thing to, to think about is, um, yeah, like when you, when you come together with someone in a, in a sexual union, you give, you're giving part of yourself to that person. Um, so that's, that's, why it's, um, that's why it's so important to be with someone in a committed uh, marriage relationship. Because even if you... I, I have a friend who this situation happened to him. He was, he was living with someone um, who he thought that they were going to stay together forever, but they didn't want the label of being married or whatnot, and he's like, oh, this is fine, like, it's not going to mess me up, because we're going to stay together forever, and that's, and that's fine, but, but sure enough, uh, unfortunately, uh, a couple of months later, um, they broke, they ended up uh, breaking up, and, and that can, that, that can happen, um, so, so yeah, so it's important to be in a committed um, relationship, um, yeah, because if you, outside of that, uh, you can end up giving part of yourself away too quickly and easily. How do I know that it's love and not just my feelings? Anyone? Let me start this guy. Oh, okay. 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 So going along the same lines as the last one, um, should Christians date non-Christians? That's a question. <laughs> Easy question, eh? Um, well, I think like Guy said on previous oh, questions, um, there will be a spectrum of opinion on this. Um, my view is, I think, for a start, the situation of having one party being a Christian and one not being a Christian can arise from other various situations. Somebody, there might be a happily married couple and one becomes a Christian and the other one doesn't. Or it might be that as a Christian you meet someone who's not a Christian and there's amazing chemistry and you have to decide what to do. Um, but I think that if, if as a Christian you choose to get into a relationship with someone who doesn't share your faith, then the kind of questions that you need to think about are... How do I make decisions? How will we make decisions as a pair? Because if you pray and wait for guidance, your partner might not want to do that. Questions like, can we meet each other's needs? Because what each of you needs might be different. Can I fully be myself in this relationship? If your faith is a really strong part of you and you're going to link yourself with someone who doesn't share that, then can you express yourself fully or, or is there a part of you that you're going to be holding back? Um, how will we support each other? The Christian might want to pray for the other person, but they may prefer not to do that. Um, how we spend our money, how we spend our time. So I think each person obviously must make their own decision, but those kind of questions you need to think about. Yeah, and a, a, same thing. A couple of you know, a couple of questions for people to consider in that in that situation. I think are. 
you know, a critical thing, I think, for a really healthy, vibrant relationship is, you know, I can be me around you and you can be you around me. How's that going to work out? You just, just need to be thinking about that. Um, and look, we all know at the heart, at the heart of every relationship is, is the issue of trust. Now, I, I don't know how you define trust. I mean, what I'm talking about here is not, you know, if you see a tenor in my wallet, you won't take it. I mean, that's kind of pretty much such a basic low level of trust. It's, it's, it's hardly worth talking about. But I think at the heart of trust is an exchange of truth. Um, and at some point in a relationship, if it's getting, if the commitment thing is really kicking in and if there's a real sense of the long term, then you've just got to think about those things. Can I have an exchange of truth? Because actually what, what you see as truth will be different to the other person. So you have to work through these things. Hmm. Um, this may not be true of all women, but I think for myself... If I was in that situation, I think, um, gosh, it would be really hard on the emotions. <laughs> it would be really, really hard. Um, and I think, I think it would be easy going into it thinking, I'm going to pray for this man. Like, say, I'm the Christian, and my husband's not. I'm going to pray for this man. I'm going to pray for this man. I'm going to see this happen. I'm going to see him become a Christian. And it kind of becomes your ministry, you know. Your marriage becomes your ministry. And... Um, Gosh, that could be really, really hard. You have to really question if you're up for that because you don't know what might happen. Your husband may never become a Christian, or he may. We actually, there's a few couples in our church back in Canada who were in that situation, and it was really, really rough for the women. It was every single week they were in tears because praying for my husband, and we're trying to make these decisions in our life, and I'm praying, and he's not, and it's really hard. Um, but there was also one of the elders in our church who became a Christian through his wife. And they've been married a long, long time. And I think she prayed for him for 25 years. And he became a Christian. And he's now one of the elders at that church. Loves the Lord. Um, that's a really hard one. <laughs> it's really, really hard. I think you have to know up front what that's going to take out of you. And especially... Yeah, as a woman, like looking to the man to lead that relationship, um, he's going to lead maybe in a different way than maybe you would want him to, I don't know, as a Christian. Um, yeah, the dynamic would be, would be extremely different. I, I couldn't imagine myself, like that wouldn't be a choice that I would make for myself. I couldn't imagine making the decisions that we've made without prayer. Like we wouldn't have gone to Canada. We wouldn't have come back here. <laughs> we wouldn't have... We'd, we wouldn't have met even, like, we both prayed, we both looked to God for our, um, in every decision that we made, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine not having that partner to, to partner with in that decision making and in that prayer, um, yeah, that's just my view, my heart towards that, do you have anything to add? Uh, yeah, just for me, I, I would say, um, uh, preference-wise, and obviously I ended up marrying someone who was a believer, but yeah, it's just, um, it's just something that I, w- I would feel a bit sad if, if, for example, I was married to um, Laura and she didn't have that faith, I would, because it's, it's the most important part of, of, of my life, so it just, 
it would feel like something's missing. I wouldn't be able to share it with the, um, the most important lady in my life if, I, if, I, if, I, if she wasn't a believer. So, yeah. That's good. Okay. So, back to the other question that you had a sneak preview of. <laughs> How do I know that it's love and not just my feelings? I keep getting the microphone. I don't. I don't do feelings. That's why. I guess. Um, look, I mean, we talked earlier, didn't we? Just it's just about you know love. We do love. We don't just feel love. So, what what are the things you can see beyond beyond feelings? And you know, you'll all have your examples. But I think some of them are, you know, mutuality in a relationship. You know, there's no artificial power thing. There's no hierarchy thing. Um, you know, you, you've got to look out for that because there are, you know, that, that can be a real issue in, in, in many relationships. I think, um, you know, there's the spiritual side. Um, do you, can you see your potential spouse building you up in your spiritual life, helping you be what you could never be just on your own in your spiritual life? Um, do you have a common direction of travel for your spiritual hopes and your vision for what what you could you could achieve together in your life, um, and that can't really be done without transparency and honesty. I mean, there is a kind of weird thing, isn't there, about the whole sort of going out thing and dating, and that, that there's an awful lot, you know, to certainly begin with. There's, there's an awful lot where everybody's making a big effort to hide lots of things in reality. Because um, everybody's trying to put the best foot forward, and um, but actually that has to mature to a point where there's transparency and honesty. And I don't know whether it's quite an answer for the question, but I, you know, a wise person once said to me, "Look, can you see in in your potential life partner other soul ties, other relationships, soul ties that that person has made in other relationships? You know, that are non-sexual." So can, can you see in that person that they've, they've got it within them to form spiritually significant purpose-driven relationships with others? Because you're going to need that. Yeah, just um, I, would, I would, personally I would say come back to 1 Corinthians 13 and just is there a desire to, um, is there a desire to, to be um, living in those those uh, characteristics, patience, uh, kindness. Are you being, um, or is, is your partner being uh, um, sacrificial in, in how they act towards you? Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Just looking at the time, aren't we? <laughs> so, do the rules change when I'm older and not a young person? It's going Guy's way, but I'd just like to say the last half of the questions are all going Josiah's way. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I don't think God's actually a great one for rules and regulations. Do the rules change? Honestly, that's why we've been given the Holy Spirit. Um, but we are sexual beings forever, right? 10... 20, 40, 80, 90, 100. We're sexual beings. So we'd be wise to look at life and our relationships um, with a sort of, with a healthy perspective on that. 
So for me, that doesn't change. It doesn't change. We are sexual beings, and that's a good and healthy thing because that's the way God made us. Um, and I suppose it goes back, could have said this to some of the other questions, but I think whether you know it's a bereavement or it's a divorce or whatever, or you come to um, a sort of lifelong commitment later in life, whether that's 60, 70, 80, I think there's a simple principle that's always at play. And that's, if you like, that commitment and intimacy... can't really do that without much. Commitment and intimacy need to move together. Um, um, or, or put it this way. If your commitment moves forward one step and your intimacy moves forward ten, it doesn't matter how old you are, you're going to have potential consequences from that. And they may not be healthy. So if your commitment moves in line with your intimacy, I just think that's, that's a healthy way to look at a relationship um, that, that, that may be moving in the direction of a, of, a, of, a, of a sort of commitment, you know, to one another. And age knows no barriers for that. Go for it. Did you have No? Okay, moving on. I'm desperate to meet someone. What should I do? That one's coming my way. Um, obviously, I don't know the person who wrote that, so I don't know their circumstances. Um, looking at the question, I'm assuming the question is about the desperation to meet someone rather than how do I actually meet other humans. Um, so and thinking about that, well, you know, where to find other people. Anyway, um, Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I think it's quite important to ask yourself, if you're desperate, is that desperation linked to how you feel about yourself? Um, People who like themselves are attractive. People who like themselves are self-aware, and they're open about their flaws and their characters, and they're prepared to work on themselves. And that makes you attractive to someone else. Um, so I think you've probably heard the saying, the best way to get a great friend is to be a great friend. And that's the same thing with relationships. So I think it's worth considering sort of how you are and actually asking yourself, are there some areas I need to work on to love myself more? And am I prepared to love others and, and give myself to, to someone else and, and look after them? So those kind of things would make you more attractive if that's what's behind the question. Yeah, and I, and I think I'm really pleased the person asked that question because, you know, the, when it comes to to love, when it comes, you know, to sex and relationships, behind that, you know, these God-given emotions we have are are really powerful. You know, we feel them. It's visceral, isn't it? Um, and, you know, I, if I've said it once, I'll say it again. You know, actually we are supposed to feel these feelings um so that's okay you know so I, th- I think for people that that just whatever they're emotional whether it's struggling with your sexuality whether it's actually just in a phase of life but you want to be in a different you want to be in a different season you want your life to look different and to be different i mean that I, you know that is tough that is tough um and it's not bad. I, I just really hope that, you know, you know, for any one of us who's, 
who's felt, whether it's desperate or whether it's extreme loneliness or whether it's questions around identity, and I go back to what Evan was talking about, you know, about, about your identity. You know, these are powerful, powerful forces in our lives. Um, and it's okay to feel them. They're real. Um, and, and it's, you know, I just, it, it, it's... It, it, it's tough, and I, I just I really hope within the kind of Christian family we can be supportive of one another when we hit those those times because it is it, it's just monumentally hard. So even I'm just saying the same thing a couple of times. It's really just to say, look, you know, there just aren't smart answers to some of these things. We have to live with them, wrestle with them. We need prayer and prayer and prayer. We need love, non-judgmental conversations, openness. Um, and, and look, it, it, it's hard, isn't it? Oh, I'm not quite sure how to say what I want to say. Um, yeah, I think romantic love isn't the only thing that should be filling us. And I'm sure we're going to say lots of things along these lines later on. But um, yeah, again, once again, <laughs> we see films and we see TV shows and we read books and we get we get this um, we do we get this desperation. I need someone. <laughs> I need someone to share my life with. And and again, that's definitely something that God sees in your heart. He sees that you want that. But I think the rest of the world around us doesn't really help with that. Like the rest of the world around us really tells us that we need someone. We need someone um, to complete us. <laughs> um, and I think that kind of thinking we should really be trying to move away from. Like, that's something that I need to complete me, if that makes sense. Um, we'll be talking as well more just about finding our intimacy in God. Like, I'm married, but the difference between me and somebody who's single, it's we... St- we still have to find our identity in Christ. Like that's no different whether you're married or whether you're single. You still have to find your identity in Christ. I don't find my identity in Josiah, in my husband, in my marriage. I still have to go to God to complete me for my peace, for my forgiveness, for that complete love that only comes from the Father. I have to go to him for that. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would make sense. I was just thinking that. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, is marriage the be-all and end-all was another question. And I guess I'm going to do this through a, a story. So, um, when me and Josiah were first married, we moved to Canada. And I was really kind of up in the clouds. I'm getting married. This is great. Josiah, new things, exciting, moving countries. Um I didn't really think about the moving countries part, honestly. We were suddenly married on a plane, said goodbye to everyone, and I was in Canada, and Josiah was going off to work every day, and I suddenly just, everything stopped, and suddenly everything became really, really scary, and I was suddenly all by myself, I didn't know anyone, and Josiah was off going to work, and And I started to, I had a really awful time. The first six months I was in Canada, I struggled with extreme panic attacks and anxiety, couldn't leave the house. It was a really awful, awful time. And during that time as well, made the mistake of thinking that Josiah, my husband, 
was going to make me feel better because, you know, that's what marriage was. That's what a husband was supposed to do. He was supposed to make me feel better again. So I, I began to rely on Josiah probably more than I should have and going to him for my comfort, going to him um, when I was afraid, when I couldn't leave the house. I was like just relying on him so much to be able to just live life normally. Um, and during that time, I learned a really important lesson, which is kind of what I've just mentioned, is I have to still go to God. It doesn't matter whether I'm single or whether I'm married. It's still the same. I have to go to God for everything, for all of my needs. I have to go to him. Josiah's not going to be able to fill all of my needs. That's just not even possible. And that's too much pressure on your partner, <laughs> way too much. They're not going to be able to to satisfy every single one of your feelings and needs every moment of the day. And that's a mistake thinking that a partner is going to do that for you, that a partner is going to complete you and make your life better. Well, they will make your life better. They're great. <laughs> but, um, but to find that peace that surpasses all understanding, you have to go to God. Um, and so that's a huge lesson that I learned in the first few months of marriage. I still have to go to God. <laughs> you want to add? Yeah, I've got something to add, but I'm just going to interrupt slightly and say we're going to have two more questions. Guy's got one on pornography for you to have to answer, and I'm just going to give the box to Josiah if you want to choose another one, one of your lot, because I'm really aware that we won't have answered all the questions. I'm not sure if Claire's got a plan to do more another time, um, but I will just say that if you've put a question in and we haven't answered it tonight, then do come and see us afterwards, because we have got answers to all the questions, so don't go away without your question unanswered. Um, but I'm just going to carry on from what Laura said, and exactly what you said, that the non-Christian world tells us that sex, money, and relationships are the things that we must strive for. Whereas God says it's love for one another and him, along with obedience, that is the way to happiness. Plenty of people in the Bible were single. Jesus, perhaps, to name one. Um, and in fact, Paul says in Corinthians, those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And he adds, an unmarried person is concerned about the Lord's affairs and how they can please him. But a married person is concerned about the affairs of this world, how they can please their spouse and their interests are divided. And joy in life is not found in circumstances. If you believe that your life will be better when you have a partner or when you have a job, that's not the case. Your anxiety levels might be less. Certain things might be a bit easier, but it's not the way to happiness. The only way to happiness is genuinely knowing who God says you are, genuinely knowing that you're loved and accepted and forgiven and being able to trust him with your life and knowing he has things for you to do that will bring you joy. And I know you're looking at us probably thinking, it's okay if you like you're married, but it really is the way to happiness. Um, and the final thing I'd add is comparison always leads to disappointment. If you find yourself looking at someone else's life and wishing you had it, it's only going to lead to disappointment and you don't know what their life is really like. Everybody has a story and everybody is, is dealing with things that you don't know about. Um, that's me for this question. Shall we hand over to, um, yeah, question 11. What was question 11? Actually, wait a second, I've got a list. 
Yeah, it's all that good stuff. And then there's a practical question. What do I do about raunchy dreams? Um, I'm kind of pleased that somebody asked this question. Um, and um, so I've said it before. I'll try and rattle through this, but here are some, here are some things for you to think about. Um, I've said it before that the feelings we have, we're supposed to feel our feelings. So if you have, you know, having sexually explicit dreams and fantasizing is kind of going to happen. And don't feel bad about it if it happens because we were meant to have feelings. Um, now, the thing is, of course, just because we have feelings doesn't mean we should go and all go and act on them. Who's responsible for your behavior? Who's responsible for Guy's behavior? You know, I am for me, you are for you. Um, so again, there's a spectrum, I think, of things that we have to be wise and thoughtful about is, you know, when it comes to sexually explicit dreams or fantasies, we just have to think wisely about it. Um, I mean, in one sense, you know, having fantasies, you know, I, I certainly can't, I can't worry about that. You know, that's suspending the rational and the logical to allow your imagination, which is God given you, to run riot you know, or to express itself. That's where fantastic pieces of music, art, drama, um, that, that's where that comes from. When you suspend, when people suspend the rational and the logical and allow their imaginations um, freedom to express themselves. That having been said, you know, there's a, there's a big difference, you know, there's a big difference, I think, between sensual art and pornography. They can deal both with the naked form, with powerful passions and emotions. I think one you can legitimately call art, one you can legitimately call pornography. Um, one can be enjoyable, interesting and thought-provoking, you can get pleasure from. One is, is really dangerous and destructive. Um, so, you, yeah, <laughs> you've got to work it out. You've got to work it out. Um, and, you know, at that end of the spectrum, if you like, from, as, you, as you look at me, um, I just, personally, I wish there was more openness about some of the difficulties that men and women have when actually they're finding it difficult to manage um, sexually charged fantasies, imagination, etc. Now, I can, you know, it's a sensitive subject. It's difficult, isn't it? You know, at the church weekend away, somebody came to see me to talk about, you know, one of their friendship group who's addicted to pornography. You know, the stats tell us that there's at least 10, 10 men here tonight who are struggling with pornography. It's just a fact. Um, so, you know, we, we're going to have to deal with that. I, I hope we can deal with it and you can, people can, you know, because manage, managing these powerful emotions um, is, is part of our responsibility. And, and, and struggling with it is fine. It's okay. Um, and then I suppose... I, I, I kind of think I better mention the dreaded M word. Well, it shouldn't be a dreaded word. The, the masturbation word, you know, because in in um, in dealing with you know the physicality of our sexuality, you know, masturbation within the context of the way the church has managed to call. I mean, I'm no church historian. I'm not a vicar. I don't. I, in one sense, I don't really know what I'm talking about, but. It, it seems to me that it's hard to find a subject that's been sort of, you know, sort of more sort of frequently discussed in hushed tones, often roundly condemned, 
and yet congregations, if I put it that way, have never practiced it more universally. The stats tell us that 90% of men masturbate, whether they're single, married, young and old, and between 50 and 90% of women. I think it's an important subject that people should think about and talk about. You know, physically, I think the medics amongst would say, look, there's no physical harm that comes from, from, um, from masturbation. But actually, again, there's a spectrum, isn't there? There's a spectrum of sexual release. You'll get a spectrum of opinion, by the way, if you go and read the literature out there. Um, but, you know, there's the sexual release, then there's uncontrolled addiction to masturbation that can, and that, that's fed, fed by, um, if you like, an, un, an unhealthy diet of imagery that can border, that can, can leave sensuality a long way behind and can get up to sort of uh, towards more the spectrum of pornography. You know, so we've just got to be wise and think about these things, talk about them, and when we struggle with them, you know, find somebody to sort of to share and talk about it. Um, and the last thing I'll say, you know, uh, you know, just when it comes to the sort of one part of that equation, you know, our son James, who's in his early 20s, you know, he uses this thing called Covenant Eyes, which many of you will have heard about, where maybe some of you haven't, but I mean, particularly with all the sort of digital technology and, you know, and social networks out there. So, you know, Covenant Eyes, you can sign up from it, it'll monitor your internet coverage. And he has somebody that he's partnered with to say, I want, will you be my Covenant Eyes? You will get a report from this organization that will show you every site, the time, the content, and a judgment about what's healthy to unhealthy. And he's partnering with somebody that can help him and can pray for him, and can talk about it. So, I don't know, that's raunchy dreams, you know. There you go. Can I just say Covenant Eyes isn't only about masturbation, it's about looking at pornography. I don't know if that came across. <laughs> okay, you going to do a question? Yeah, yeah. So, yes, yeah. so I guess uh, last, last question we've got um, time for today. Um, this person wrote down, I've already had sex is god really angry with me um and and yeah the 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 short answer to that is no god god's not gonna hold anger against you he's he's not a he's not a cruel um angry angry god that that wants to that wants to see wants to hold that over you the bible says um there's no condemnation for those of us who are in christ so those of us believers there's no condemnation for us um I think with that as well, uh, I, I know a few people and I've heard a few people say, oh, I've already, I've already, you know, I'm a believer, but I've already messed up and I've, I've slept with my boyfriend or girlfriend and now it's too late, so, so what's the point? I'll just keep, keep on in that. And, and I would say that's, that's not, the, that's not the, what God wants you to do. You know, you, you, can, you can turn away from that and turn away from that way of living in, and, um, and repent and, and say, you know what, God, I... I I messed up. I'm not. I, you know, didn't handle that perfectly. But I want to choose to honor you in my life and honor you in my relationship. Um, and I want to, yeah, I want to, be be pure and to and to not continue on that path and to wait until we do get married. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's a good thing. Don't uh, don't be discouraged if if yeah that's if that's been your your story and. And you're like, oh, it's too late. I've already, I've already messed up. Or, or maybe it's not even in that way. Maybe it's in another way. You've messed up, and you think it's, it's too late. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm already, I've already done it. So, 
there's no hope. I just am going to keep going on that path. But uh, yeah, you can always turn away, and God wants you to 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 repent of that and turn ba- turn back towards Him. Um, yeah, and another thing that was uh, along those lines that was on my heart to share with you guys is um, uh, yeah, essentially we we as as God's children, if we if we identify as Christians, if we call ourselves Christians, our um, our followers of Jesus, our desire should be to live um, righteously, to, to aim to live to these, um, to the way that God calls us to live in the Bible. Um, and those, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different um, uh, areas in the Bible where God says, this is, this is how I want you as my people to live and to, to walk and to, um, um, yeah, this is how I want you to live, live your lives. And uh, those are, those, um, those commands or those guidelines, uh, they're there to, uh, to protect us and to keep us, to keep us safe because um, that's the best possible way uh, for us to be living. So we should be, um, we should be desiring to live like that and to be, to be seeking to live um, the way God calls us to live. That, uh, that should uh, be a ca- characteristic of, of us as believers. We should want to live um, how God calls us to live uh, in his word. Um, yeah, I think I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Done really well. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Amazing. I'm going to ask you for, if you don't mind going to the sofas, for like five or ten minutes, and then if you, have, I've got a question that you'd still like to ask them. They're going to be on the sofas for a little bit, and uh, you can just mosey on down, have a little chat. Uh, if you would uh, value prayer about anything that's been touched upon tonight, then uh, again, we'd love to pray with you. So again, over by the sofas, there'll be some of the prayer team. Uh, so if you've come with that, let's just stand together as we close our evening. And we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for an opportunity to think and to process what your word says. And Lord, um, thank you that you know us inside out and you absolutely love us just as we are. And you love us so much that you want us to grow in you and develop to become more like you. And so we just pray for one another now. We know that uh, these, this topic might have brought up all sorts of thoughts in our minds and all sorts of battles that we face. And so we want to bring them before you as we close this evening. We want to pray, Lord Jesus, that uh, you would take those burdens that we have, those things that we're worried about in this area, Lord, you would take them from us and that you would uh, partner with us. Thank you that you never leave us or forsake us and that you will walk through this journey of life with us through the ups and the downs, through the struggles and the joys. And so we thank you that we can go out from this place knowing that you are with us and for us. And we pray that you would come, Holy Spirit, and send us out of this place to live and to work for your praise and your glory. We ask in Jesus' name.